0: It's great to see you. glad that you chose to come and worship with us today. Um, A couple of quick reminders also, um, adding to the announcements. Um, In a couple of weeks, you're going to see some sign-up stuff out in the lobby. That's for every member in ministry. Always starts the first Sunday in August, runs a couple of Sundays through there. Just be on the lookout for that. We'll be sharing some more information also. In those Sundays in August, there'll be some sign-up sheets to be part of one of our home group. I'm sorry, (laughs) home groups. (laughs) anyhow, one of our home groups, and uh, so we have lots of those uh, happening throughout uh, the area, and so if you want to jump in and be a part of one of those, be praying about it, be thinking about it, you'll see a list of folks that have already been a part of those in the past, that'll probably be a part of those coming forward this coming school year. It's just a one-year commitment, and so if you want to be a part of a home group, we'd love for you to sign up for those. Um, I'm going to ask if you would to repeat after me. Can we do that? All right, here we go. My My heart is open. My mind is ready. I'm going to hear from the eternal truth of God's word. And I will not be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so we're in a series uh, looking at a, the parables of Jesus, and today we come to the parable of the mustard seed, and we come to the parable of the leaven. Jesus gives these two parables kind of together, um, and each of them is driving home a point, and each of them's making kind of the same point, as we'll see here when we go through this parable together. Um, So I'm going to ask if you would, as our custom, to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. Here we go. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And then verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so we're going to just dive into these together. We're going to get into some pretty deep-end theological concepts today. Wanted to make sure that y'all were alert and ready to go. Um, So let's go ahead and take a look at this. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. Put Jesus, put another parable before the people, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. We learned over the past couple of weeks, you've been hearing me say this, that when... um, that when Matthew says kingdom of heaven, it's synonymous with when Mark and Luke say kingdom of God. So those two, those two phrases are interchangeable. Um, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? Well, if you are a first century Jewish person, that is a loaded phrase. So if somebody says kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, I mean, there's a lot of rich meaning. There's a lot of depth of meaning in that phrase that it tries to capture. According to the prophecies of Isaiah, when the Messiah comes, he will fundamentally change all of creation. There will be no more violence in creation, no more carnivorous activity in all of creation. Lions will sit down and they will chew grass alongside of the lambs. Uh, Little children will be able to go and pet and play with uh, the snakes. Secondly, when the Messiah comes, the governments of the world will rest upon his shoulder. He will bring peace to the world. There will be no more war in the world. There will be no more jockeying for political power in the world under the leadership of this God-ordained messianic leader. The Jewish people had a phrase that captured this new state of creation, a phrase that captured this new state of the government, the world's governments, this realignment of world's governments under the messianic rule, and that phrase was the phrase kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. When somebody up at Strickland's, because I go there, you know, when somebody up at Strickland's was sitting there uh, eating breakfast some morning and one of the guys said, the kingdom of God, everybody else in the restaurant knew what they were talking about. And so that's kind of what's going on here. Jesus begins this parable with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, verse 31. That tells us that Jesus intends to contribute to his audience's understanding of life in this kingdom, of life under the Messiah's rule. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you some descriptors. I'm going to give you some for instances of what life in this kingdom is like, because for the Jewish people, it hadn't come yet. Jesus was out there declaring the kingdom of God has come. First of all, he started saying the kingdom of God is near. John the Baptist said the kingdom of God is near. Jesus started saying, hey, look, the kingdom of God is actually right here. It's, on, it's upon you. And so the Jewish people are like, well, what's it going to be like? What can we expect? And so Isaiah had told them some things about this. And Jesus says, I'm going to advance your understanding even further than what Isaiah had given Given you. Friends, that is a bold move to build on uh, now some 700-year-old prophecies of Isaiah. And the parable just before this one, Jesus said, Matthew 13 and verse 24, I don't know if I have this one for you guys on the slide, we'll find out. He said in verse 24, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, and then he told them some new things that they had never heard before about the kingdom of God, about life in this kingdom. He said that when we're we're in this kingdom, uh, there's going to be wheat, the righteous that are going to grow up, but they're going to grow up right alongside the unrighteous, right alongside the weeds. So God's not going to get rid of all the weeds as we're moving forward in this kingdom. One day he will. He goes on to tell in the interpretation when the harvest comes. But until that day, there's going to be a delay of the consummation of this kingdom. And now he comes to the parable of the mustard seed saying, Matthew 13 and verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like an itsy bitsy little grain of a mustard seed. And he said, i got a picture for you here. Here's a picture. This shows you a mustard seed. This is somebody's little, I guess they I guess it's their pointer finger. And, uh, and they got a little mustard seed on, that, on, that, on, the, on their finger. And so you can kind of get the sense of the size of how small this thing is. Um, Something that, and basically he's saying that even though it is of small size, it's going to grow into something much greater. Now compare that seed uh, with other garden seeds, with the watermelon seed, with the Think about a green, how big a green bean is. I mean, that would be really much bigger than just the end of that person's finger. A squash seed. Those seeds are all considerably larger in size. However, when those larger seeds are planted, the yield in terms of the size of the plant, in terms of the size of the squash plant, in terms of the size of the watermelon plant, in terms of the size of the yay high green bean plant, is nowhere in comparison to the 9-foot tall up to 12-foot tall mustard tree. Uh, the mustard plant or the mustard tree has this large canopy. When you put all this together, the point of the parable, what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is going to start small, but it's going to grow uh, it, tremendous in size compared to its small beginning. Again, the point of the parable is that the kingdom of God is going to start small but become hugemongous. Uh, Yes, that's not a real word. I know that that's not a real word, but you'll remember what the point of the mustard seed parable is that Jesus is saying the kingdom's going to grow huge-mongous. All right, parable number two, the parable of the leaven, Matthew 13 and verse 33. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like. Notice that Jesus uses the same starting prescription with this parable, the parable of the leaven, as he does with the other parable, the parable of the mustard seed. He says the kingdom of God is like means he's going to, again, add to, give some more development, some more description of what this 700-year-old prophecies of Isaiah had to say about the kingdom of God, what it was going to be like. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to give you some more information about that. Friends, these are not neat little lessons for children's church hour. This is Rabbi Jesus saying, I know what the prophet Isaiah has told you. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. But what I am doing is I am adding to or building out your understanding of life in the kingdom of God. Isaiah has given you some details. I'm going to give you some more details. All right, back to the parable, Matthew 13 and verse 33, the parable of the leaven. Leaven, by the way, is bread that has had yeast injected into it, and it's on the rise. All right, that's what leaven is. It's bread or dough that has yeast in it. Verse thirty three: The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid, and, and took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Back in Bible times, folks didn't have Publix. They didn't have Kroger. They didn't have Ingalls. They didn't go down to the grocery store to buy bread. Instead, they made their own bread in their home. That's where bread came from. And so, rather than uh, you know open up their little packet of yeast, I don't know what. Fleischmann's or something like that. I don't know what it's called. Anyhow, they'd open up their little package of yeast. Rather than have that, they kept a little piece of starter dough. I was talking to my mother-in-law last night about, could we please have some more of that friendship bread at Christmas time? You know, she has that little starter jar, and you add that little piece of that starter jar, and then you start adding in all the ingredients, and things begin to work. Well, the same thing with folks back years ago. Uh, They would have this little piece, a little pinch of bread that they would keep from every loaf that they made, and that, 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 bread, that little bit of dough, would, was leavened bread, and it would have the yeast inside of it. And so she would then take all the ingredients, she would mix those together, the flour, the water, the salt, and then she would um, add all that, so have this big lump of dough, and then she would take that little pinch of starter, and she would stick it inside of that dough, and then all the magic would begin to work. She would take a piece of cloth, she would lay it over top of that dough, and then the, the what do you call it, the yeast inside there would begin eating the sugars, the sugars uh, would then... Uh, Burp, I guess they call it. If you from the, I don't know what you call it. Some carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide would get caught up in the elastic gluten's, and then that dough would begin to rise, and that's how that happens. Um, notice in Jesus's story, the amount of flour. I don't know anything about making bread, so I'm just giving you what I know. Notice in Jesus's story, the amount of flour that the lady uses. In the ESV translation, it says that the woman mixed three measures of flour. In the NASB, it says that she mixed three pecks of flour. In the NIV, it just gives us simply, it says she mixed a large amount of flour. In the Greek, the word that is there, that how much dough she used, is the word satov. It's a measurement equal to about three gallons of flour. So we're three gal. Think about it, three gallon, About a gallon of flour. It's a little bit more than a, a pack, five-pound package of, of flour that you buy at the grocery store. So she mixes together. Think about this: three packages of flour. That's going to make somewhere in the neighborhood twenty to twenty-five loaves of bread. Jesus says, verse thirty-three: The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, a starter piece of dough that spreads throughout and infects that massive lump of dough. Now, I want to pause here. I want to talk about how some theologians have misinterpreted or misappropriated this parable. I've got a slide for you here. We saw it a couple of weeks ago. It shows the two ages of human history. The first age is the Old Testament age. It's the age of the law. It's when the Jewish people were living under the laws of Moses. And then the second age uh, is the age of the church or the church age. It's the age that we live in now, leading up to the return of Christ, which will be the end of human history, the end of time. Um, and so some theologians have taken Jesus' parable, which is describing the kingdom of God, which is supposed to be in the Jewish people's mind, right? They were, they were looking for that Old Testament age to kind of come to fulfillment, come to an end, and creation's going to be reset, and all the governments of the world are going to be realigned, and all these sorts of things are going to happen. Uh, they were looking for that to happen right there when the Messiah came. But Jesus says, hey, look, my program, we're going to delay the consummation of the kingdom, the wheat and the weeds are going to grow up together in my kingdom. One day, there will be the harvest, he says. And so, um, some theologians have taken Jesus' parable, which is describing the kingdom of God, and they have said, see, Jesus is saying that eventually, in the church age, that all of the world, like the dough, will be infected by the leaven. All of the dough will become leaven." In other words, all of the bread, all of the world will be Christianized. And so they just think this is going to be a gradual process. And uh, there ha- there's a name for that. I'm jumping around here in my notes, but there's a name for that. I got a slide for you. It's called postmillennialism. In theological circles, it's called postmillennialism. Um, and so people back in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s, were really believing this. This was a very popular theological concept that all of creation, all of the world was moving, evolving, if you would, toward the problems of the world being solved. Um, I mean, you think about late 1800s, you got industrialization happening in the West. Uh, People saw the problems of world hunger going away. They saw governments of the world beginning to cooperate, and they thought to themselves, you know what, maybe we're on the cusp of uh, all of the dough getting infected and the world becoming Christianized. But then World War I happened, then World War II happened, and people kind of said, well, so much for that theory. It became just an idealistic point of view at that point. Still, some theologians looked at this parable, the parable of the leaven, and they say despite the continued presence of human depravity, that that's just a hiccup, eventually the leaven, the yeast of the gospel, will work its way throughout all the world, bringing about an age of peace, and that this peace will last for a thousand years, and then the end will come. Then the return of Christ will happen. Um, I agree that there will be an age of peace, but it's not going to come gradually. It's going to come when Jesus returns in the sky to gather his church. That's what I think. You're welcome to have a different opinion than mine. It's not a salvation issue, so we're not going to duke it out over that. Nevertheless, I did want to share this with you this morning so you can consider for yourselves uh, whether or not, you, you know, post-millennial view, you see how they're treating this, uh, this, this parable. Now, the problem with this view is that when it comes to the parable of the leaven, Uh, that that's not the only parable that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, right? There's other parables in here. Um, Jesus says in his interpretation of the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Matthew 13 and verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. So here we are at the end of the age at the harvest, and you still got weeds growing. But I thought in the post-millennialism, you know, the world's been Christianized, and the world's all come to surrender themselves to Christ. And so that's a bit of a problem if you're a post-millennialist. Again, that's just one of those things we can banter back and forth about over coffee sometime. Um, all right, so that's one way that this parable of the leaven has been misappropriated or misunderstood from my vantage point. Another misunderstanding or misapplication has to do with the presence of yeast in the parable of the leaven. Several places in the Old Testament, yeast is oftentimes equated with sin. For example, when the Jewish people were anticipating Passover coming and they would send the little children out into the house to gather up all the little pieces of yeast and they would then discard those out of the house and the yeast representing sin was supposed to kind of a symbolic act of get all the sin out of your life, get all the sin out of your home, get all the sin out of your heart as we anticipate and move forward to Passover. Um, the problem here is in carrying forward the metaphor of yeast as sin into Jesus' parable of the leaven. Is that Jesus is not talking about the permeation of sin; he's talking about the permeation of the gospel. He's talking about the good news of the gospel, how it's going to start small and it's going to spread and become more huge, <laughs> um, To say that, well, you know, yeast represents sin elsewhere in Scripture, and so therefore, sin must, or the yeast must be sin here in this uh, passage of Scripture. Well, that's again a misappropriating of the text. It's a not good interpretive methodology. Um, if we were to follow that methodology, then when we come to 1 Peter chapter 5. Hang with me just a second. I know I'm getting off the deep end, but uh, anyway, giving it to you. Consider yourself informed. Matt, when we get to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, where Peter says, he says, your adversary, the devil, he's talking about the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. So you're saying that in Scripture... The devil is a lion. Whenever a lion's mentioned, then it's talking about the devil. Well, then when you go to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, and you read, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, John in his revelation seeing Jesus on the throne is calling Jesus a lion. Then you're saying that every time that a lion's mentioned in scripture, that it's referring to the devil. Now the lion's referring to Jesus. So you're saying Jesus and the devil are the same. You can see how this is like madness. Right? We don't want to follow these interpretive methods. My point is, when we're dealing with Scripture, we cannot ignore context. Anybody who's an English... Have we have any English teachers in here? Some of y'all loved English class, right? Some of y- anybody who loved English class? <laughs> All right. All right. I love that. So, but context, context, context. Remember one of the rules for interpreting these parables was, I think it was rule number three, is we consider the context of the surrounding verses. Jesus teaches two short parables. He got a crowd of he has a crowd of hundreds of people, perhaps a thousand people, uh, out in front of him. He's sitting there on this shore. Uh, we got a picture of this for you. We can pop that up. I think it's a little bit later in the slide, but we can pop it up. He's sitting there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he's in this little cove, and he's had to move away from shore. He got in a boat, had to move away from shore in order to be able to broadcast and be able to talk to all the hundreds or perhaps thousands of people that were gathered there to hear from him. And he teaches them that the kingdom of God... God has come and what we can expect in the coming of this kingdom is that it's going to start small like a mustard seed it's going to start small like a little piece of leaven that gets put in a big lump of dough and that it's going to grow really really big all right well that is our treatment of this text for today and so that means it's time for us to stop and ask our most important question what difference does all this make (laughs) right post-millennialism Come on, Gordon. Uh, bring, bring it down to where I'm living. What difference does this make to my life? Well, we learned a handful of weeks ago that Jesus had a really busy day on the day that he taught these parables. I mean, that morning he got up, he went and told his disciples as they were passing by some grains of field on the Sabbath day, sure, have a couple of grains of wheat from those stalks that we're walking by. Those those plants are ripe and plump and let's go ahead and pull a couple grains off there and eat some breakfast. And Jesus got into big trouble with the Pharisees because he was working on the Sabbath. Um, and so a little bit later he gets to the synagogue. He teaches while he's at the synagogue. He heals someone at the synagogue. He heals another person while he's at the synagogue. He heals dozens. Everybody who wanted to be healed in the area. They're coming in and Jesus is healing them one after another. And then a challenge from the Pharisees. Again, he goes to a friend's house, has some lunch. His mom, his brothers, his sisters stop by. They try to convince him to stop this stuff, stop this public ministry. You're an embarrassment to the family. Read, read, the, read the passage over in Mark. That's the way, way Jesus' family was looking at this early on. Jesus left Capernaum. He travels south. He leaves that little house. He travels south down along the seashore to that spot that you saw there a few moments ago. And he was just sitting there. The evening's kind of coming on. The sun's setting behind him in the west. He's looking at the light across the Sea of Galilee. And somebody spots him. And then they tell somebody else, and somebody else spots him. And before you know it, there's hundreds of people. Maybe up to a thousand. It says a great crowd of people. Um, I want to share... What difference this makes by just kind of imagining, if you would, one of those faces in the crowd. So just hear the story. Standing there on that shoreline that day was a young man, probably about 20 years of age. Like many of the other young men in the area, he grew up tending the fields, helping cut hay, helping when it was harvest season. He knew the value of hard work. Throughout his teenage years, he had apprenticed with a local carpenter with plans of starting his own construction business one day. He and his high school sweetheart, they had made plans to get married. Life was filled with promise and possibility. Then came the day of his accident. He was up on some scaffolding, setting some heavy beams. The fellow on the other end lost his footing. He tried to catch the beam. He knew he probably should have just let it fall, but he tried to catch it nonetheless. Again, that's all just hindsight now. Instead of trying to catch the beam, or instead he tried to catch the beam, and he lost his own footing, and down he went some 20 feet to the dusty floor below. He landed kind of funny. He felt a twist in his knee and then a snap of the bone. Things have never been the same since. Earlier that day, word got around that a man was sitting out in a boat and was performing some miracles. The young man had nothing left to lose, so he gathered his wooden crutch, threw it under his arm, and began a short walk up into town. One painful step after another. He heard that this rabbi was having lunch at someone's house. He just followed the crowds. Soon he found himself at the door of this house, standing in line. The house was all a buzz, shouts of joy, elation, people coming out with tears in their face one after another, families celebrating. Could it be that this man could do for him what he had done for some of these others? I mean, what does a preacher know about resetting legs? I can tell you not much. (laughs) Time passed in a flash, and before he knew it, he was standing, leaning, really, with crutch under arm in front of this miracle-working man of God. As he looked into the rabbi's eyes, the rabbi didn't look at him the way other folks did. He didn't see the beggar that other people had seen. He didn't see a man whose hopes and dreams were all awash. He didn't wince at the sight of his unsightly leg. Instead, when he looked into his eyes, he found peace. And if that's all that this young man had gotten that day, that would have been enough. Worry and depression had become his companion. And in that moment, he found peace. And he knew it was a peace that would never leave him. It would never forsake him. The rabbi reached out without a word. Touched his deformed leg, and the young man felt an intense heat pass through his whole body, particularly from his hip down to his toe. And then, suddenly, without explanation, the deformity in his leg was gone, and the skin was flushed with blood, and the bruises had all disappeared. Jesus, this rabbi, had made his leg whole. He said, Give me your crutches. The young man stood in shock. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to think. He was afraid to even try and put any weight on it. Sure, it looked like it was going to hold, but hadn't tried this before. So standing there in this stranger's living room in front of all these people, Jesus said, son, go ahead, stand. And he simply did as he was instructed, and for the first time in years, he stood on both of his feet. Hours later, with a heart still full of wonder and awe. He was sitting on a lakeshore, the sun getting low in the sky. Hundreds of people just like him healed, or family members of theirs healed earlier that same day. The rabbi said, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of seeds, but when it grows... It is larger than the garden, all of the garden plants. And then he said, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a mother took and put inside the dough until it was all leavened. And the young man thought about that. And he thought, you know what? All my life, we Jewish people have been so focused on the growth and the size and the grandeur of the kingdom of God But what makes this fellow different, different than all the religious leaders, different than all of the political class? I mean, all that they care about is the crowd size, right? Go out there, preach a good sermon, have somebody pat you on the back, tell you you did a great job. But what makes this fellow different is that he gets excited about individual lives being changed. The kingdom of God is big, friends, and it is getting bigger. But let's not lose sight of the fact that God's method for growing the kingdom is one of one changed life at a time. I don't know what lays heavy on your heart this morning. I don't know what needs you bring to this place. Certainly there is stuff that we all have, needs that we need to bring before the feet of the Master. What I hope you hear this morning, though, is that in Jesus we have a personal Savior a God who knows you, a God who cares about you and your life deeply. He's the God of something big, something way bigger than any one of us. But in all of that growth, let us never lose sight of the fact that this is the God who knows your name, even down to the very hairs on your head. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you that we serve a Savior who's not only great, but that he's also intimate. A Savior who's not only worthy of the praise and the glory and the the adoration of the multitudes, but that he's a Savior that kneels down when we're broken and receives us in his loving arms. Lord, as we gather around this table today, May we be reminded that your outstretched arms, yes, though they were there for the masses, they were there for a sinner such as I. Holy Spirit, encourage our hearts. Speak to us this day. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.